When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. That's right. Today, we are going to talk about leadership transformation, and we have with us an expert in that area. Oh, my gosh, we're going to have so much fun unpacking why people do what they do and how you can do things better. It's going to be so much fun. We are joined by Marsha Dashko. Marsha, how are you today? I'm Great. I'm over the top feeling so good to be with you today, Tom. Awesome. Well, for those of you who don't know Marsha, she is a pivot provocateur. She drives people out of their minds to make them think differently. She's a little bit of a contrarian and she's going to shake things up if she works with you. She's going to make you look at the way you do things and go, whoa, maybe that's not the way I should be doing things. She is going to make people think differently so that they can achieve more than they've ever done before. She is a consultant, a business strategist, an author, a speaker, and she absolutely loves facilitating executive retreats. Everybody's got to have a love. Hers is executive retreat facilitation. So today we are going to dive right in. But first, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. Now, if you're a regular listener of the show, you know that I work with Stanton Chase International. So if you're looking to build up that senior leadership team, you need to talk to me because I can link you with the best person for any industry in the whole country. Shoot the whole world when it comes to building those senior leadership teams. When you're looking for the right executive search firm, think Stanton Chase International. All right. So, Marsha, first question. How did you even get into being a consultant in this world of leadership transformation? Well, I was excruciatingly shy. And actually, my first career was in marketing and communications. And my master's is in that field. And then I was hired by a small boutique consulting firm owned by Dr. Perry Gleckman. And so I was doing the marketing for the firm and he said, I want you to do business development. I said, what am I selling? And he sent me off to Dr. Deming's four-day seminar. And of course, people who know Deming, he had gone to Japan after World War II at the invitation of General MacArthur to help them out of their crisis. And then he came back to the United States, worked with the CEO of Ford and General Motors to help save our auto industry. Long story short, 
he became one of my mentors with Perry, and I attended 20 of his four-day workshops around the United States and then co-founded the Bay Area Demon User Group, which was the largest study group in the world, and I was a co-founder of also of the Intuin Thinking Network, and we had annually a conference where we focused on, um, and it was sponsored by Boeing, where we focused on helping people learn about Dr. Deming's philosophy of management and how to lead people better and how to transform themselves and their organizations to save industries. So I talk to a lot of people. I often talk about mentorship and who was your mentor and things like that. But very few people drop a name like, well, just Dr. Deming was my mentor. So <laughs> that must have been an exciting person to have studied under for so long. Uh, yeah, he, it was very scary, actually, because he was so he was so nice to me and so forth. And he encouraged me to come to those, the four day seminars as much as I could. But, you know, when you're very, very shy and you see this person up in front of, you know, 2000 people speaking, and then he says, he announces to me that he's going to be my mentor. Yeah. You just, it's a little overwhelming. And then I also had, I studied um, under, Dr. Russ Acoff and Peter Senge, and I've been very, very fortunate. So how does someone so shy end up as a professional speaker <laughs> and facilitator? I, I grew up in the Midwest, in Iowa, before my family moved to California. And one thing I do have is a very, very strong work ethic, and I will never let people down. So if my, um, if Perry or a colleague of mine asks me to do something and I know how to do it, I will do it even though it's killing me on the inside. So I got put in situations. One time uh, a friend, Dr. Joyce Arsini, was up in Uh, up on the stage, someone asked her a question in a room full of a thousand people. And she said, I don't know the answer to that, but I think I know someone who does. Marsha, would you please come up here and answer their question? (laughs) And I, I'm walking up there thinking, maybe I'll just have a heart attack on the way. (laughs) If I fall off the stage, I don't have to get, I don't have to speak to these people. Exactly. Exactly. So I think it was, I'm driven by the responsibility that I feel that I have to share the messages, to share the knowledge that my mentors helped me learn. And now it's my responsibility to share. And that's my passion. Well, I love the fact that you talked about having, you know, this strong work ethic. I've, I've seen it in many people in, in my family and, and people I've known that sometimes when you have that, that sort of over the top level of work ethic, it really does allow you to accomplish things that people think they, they never could have accomplished other, otherwise. Where do you think that work ethic came from? Uh, where I grew up in Iowa and my, my family, um, the people that I worked with, um, in the Midwest, um, Working, living in in Minnesota and Wisconsin and so forth, um, that's how we do things. And sometimes if it's five o'clock and the job isn't done, 
we stay until it gets done. And that's... But that's something that's not common. I mean, that is an uncommon trait. That's why we draw it to attention to it when people have such a strong work ethic. Why do you think so many people don't do that? Uh, it's not one of their values. It's not what they necessarily believe. They don't, they didn't maybe grow up seeing someone do that. And it's something I struggle with understanding. One thing that I always need to do when I am working with uh, assistants or interns is not to put my value system on them unless I have, when I, if I'm in the recruiting and interviewing and hiring process, then I'm very specific and say, this is what I sometimes will need from you. This is what I will expect from you. You let me know now if that makes that, if you think you can do that or not. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I hire. Very nice. So you've been doing what you do for a while. Why do yes. you do, why do you do what you do? <clears throat> I do what I do to make that difference, as I mentioned, because I, I feel a huge responsibility. I, I see so many people, managers, executives struggling when they don't need to. So I see them struggle, f- de- decline, and fail in their organizations, in their careers, and so I want to give them choices, give them another perspective, another way to look at things. And what Dr. Deming gave me was a theoretical foundation of management. So what he taught me and what he taught thousands of others, what he taught executives in Japan was that you don't have to struggle like that. He said he couldn't even do it. He said, when I see people struggling so much, he said, I couldn't do it that way. And so what he taught was how, how do we reduce complexity and waste and low productivity in our organizations? Um, we, we don't need to, when I go into an organization as I have for almost 30 years now, I see, because I'm looking through his lens, I see at least 50 to 80% of waste and complexity in organizations. So that means people can take half of what's on their desk and put it in the garbage can. They don't have to be doing it. Instead, they need to think about what I call a strategic compass. What is their aim What do they want to accomplish together? By what method will we do that? What do they stand for? What are their, what's their value set in behaviors, not just words? Who are they serving? Who who, do they have customers? Do they have members? Do they have students? What do they need and how do they know? And then the fifth question is, How do we measure progress and then how do we measure success? And so that's, you know, results. And many, many, many people and organizations focus on the results and that's the last thing. So when, for example, when I have an offsite meeting, 
um, with a management team, I, I set it up so that in the past, they've maybe spent two days talking about budgets and forecasting and numbers and quotas and incentives and all those types of things. And I say, okay, we're going to flip it and we're going to, I'm going to create an agenda for you that where we look at planning and strategies and what you want to accomplish and so forth. And I'll give you 30 minutes at the end of day two to talk about any numbers you want to talk about. So you mentioned that Dr. Deming was this way also, but you mentioned about yourself that that you hate to see people struggle. So are you a bit of an empath? Do you, do you have a lot of empathy for people who, who are facing any type of, any type of issue? Do you, do you watch the news and get, get teary eyed? Is that naturally kind of who you are? Do you, do you want to fix things and make it better for everybody? Uh, It's, that's a great question because I feel that I have a lot of empathy with my clients and with children. And beyond that, not too much. I'm <laughs> so, pretty. So if, I, so if I'm having a rough time, you don't really care. <laughs> I, I'll, care. <laughs> I'll care. It's just my caring might not go too deep. I don't. I will be the first one to say I don't have a lot of patience. Gotcha. That's my least that's a a trait that I probably have the least of except with children and sometimes my clients. So you bring up an interesting thing. You don't have a lot of patience and yet you love to facilitate corporate retreats. And I do some of that work with, with corporate retreats and boy, oh boy, you talk about, you have to be more patient with corporate retreats than you do with children. Oh, I have, there's way, way, way too much fun in corporate retreats because (laughs) I don't, I don't, talk too much. I don't talk much. I put, I don't do PowerPoint slides. Many of those, I I just, there there are ways they can take the workbook home and they can fill out things, you know, during the two day, but instead I put them in an exercise and then I ask questions and, and, and that's what I do continually exercise ask questions. What did you learn? What else did you learn? What did you learn? And they're answering these questions together. And then I ask, and how would you apply that at your work? So they take it so deeply. And then we go on to the next exercise and on to the next exercise. So I do the same thing when I teach MBA classes. So I tell them, you know, put the computers away. You don't need those. And, um, and at the beginning of the class, I say, okay, if you do these things, everyone is going to get an A that that's pretty shocking. And, um, and then I say, okay, now grading grades aside, what are we going to focus on? And I remember a, a manager one day from Intel, very kind of quietly said, learning, I said, Bingo, you got it. Now we're going to learn. And and at the end of the 10, 10 weeks, they'll often say, Marsha, I have never, I haven't had this much fun since kindergarten. Why didn't, why haven't we learned this before? I'm in my last class of my MBA program and I've never learned 
these concepts. I've never learned about systems thinking and statistical thinking and looking at data over time in order to make better decisions. And, and learning learning should be and can be fun because uh, I, I recently did a, a Zoom call for a, for a client where I was, you know, doing an hour long sort of webinar type thing. And at the end, somebody said to me, oh, my God, I have three pages of notes. I thought we were just laughing the whole time. <laughs> and I did my, my, my work here is done. They took notes and laughed. Hey, that was all good. So you talked about the fact that people tend to jump only to results. They don't they don't pay attention to the journey. How do you get people to pay a little bit more attention to the journey and take the rewards, the 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 kudos that come along the way? How do you get people to focus on that? So that's why I put them in the exercises because that's how they learn that they they will get better results when they focus on what are they trying to accomplish and how are they going to do it together? And they can learn, they can learn exercises within a few, within 30 minutes that they will refer back to one, two, three months, three years. Even years later. later. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So you have a book called Pivot, Disrupt, Transform. Uh, which it makes you a perfect fit to be on a show called Making Waves at Sea Level because that's what Sea Level executives have to do, right? They have to make some waves. They have to shake things up. And in order to do that, they have to pivot, pivot, disrupt, and transform. So tell us about your book. Yes. So um, that means that those executives need to do two things. They have to have, I look for two traits, openness to learning and courage. They need to have those two things before I want to seriously work with them. Otherwise, it's all um, lip service and we'll be going different directions. Um, So the book really starts out with three, well, it has three parts. Part one is what they need to stop doing the, the management fads, the best practices that get them in trouble. And that's why I help them discover that performance appraisals where you rank and rate and criticize and blame people will lead to dysfunctional, toxic workplaces. So even though they might have a value that says, oh, yes, collaboration, cooperation, teamwork. And then I ask, well, do you have performance appraisals? Yes, of course. And it's like, okay, can you help me understand how you can have this value and this practice? And the executives go, oh my gosh, we've never thought about that. So I want them in the stop section to think about Why do they have performance appraisals? Why do they hold individuals accountable for the results of a system? Um, Why do they use language that takes them down, uh, um, helps their organization go into decline? If they're talking about uh, fearful things like cost-cutting and layoffs and so on and so forth, where is the creativity and the innovation in in that language? So anyways, 
Part one is about what they need to stop. Part two is how they need to start thinking differently. So the concepts that help them start thinking differently. And part three is the transform. How do they apply that new thinking? So those are those are the three parts. That's what the book helps them really take a look at themselves first. On page seven, eight, right up front, there is a leadership self-assessment. So they can answer, I don't know, 10, 15 questions and get a foundation right there. Oh my gosh, how am I doing? Because otherwise, and and I say too, when I want them to stop doing certain things, it's because otherwise it's like taking a piece of toast and putting stra- fresh strawberry jam on moldy bread. Ew. So, yeah. Ew. We, we don't want yeah. them to do that in business either. Yeah. So we want to get rid of the moldy bread first and then think about, ah, great, you know, strawberry jam. What can I do with this? <laughs> so I've got a couple of more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in business like Marsha Dashko. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, it's not too late. Everyone's doing it. Jump in. Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the special offer that they have for the listeners of this show. All right. So, Marsha, you do all this work with executives and with companies. You know, you help them with their strategy. You've written these books. You speak. You facilitate. But what really makes you different than other coaches, consultants, and facilitators? I would say two things. One is my knowledge. It is really deep and it is really, I ask questions that other people don't ask. And my clients tell me this and they say, Marsha, you are so content rich. And one company president, we were, we had a two day offsite and he said, Marsha, it doesn't bother me that we don't know the answers to your questions because we're pretty smart and we can figure those out. What bothers me is that I've been running this company for many years and I've never thought of these questions. Nice. All right. So final question, you know, the business world, we go through all these fads, right? The new book comes out and everybody's like, Oh, now we have to go do this. It's the sparkly system. And the next time, no, it's the burlap system and all that. (laughs) Dr. Deming was huge. Back in the 1990s, everybody was a disciple reading his books. I read his books. Everybody was, you know, is his work still relevant today and why? His philosophy of leadership and management is more relevant today than even back then. Um, Whenever an organization has a, 
an organization, not just a corporation, but it could be a local or a global nonprofit, uh, the U.S. military, um, government agencies, um, healthcare, education. Our education system is broken. Um, It really needs help. And um, so if we had people who who are leaders and everybody has the natural leadership inside of them. I can attest to that because it got pulled out of of the inside of me. So if we are able to think about leadership is number one, we have to think differently about how we lead and how we optimize systems and that our job is to continually transform, not just tinkering around the edges, um, a little bit of process improvement, a little bit of improvement here and there is not good enough. We have to look at big strategic, the, the big picture and say, where, what kind of outcomes do we want? And are we satisfied? You know, are we, are we satisfied with the results that we see in our nations, in our in our um, education systems, in our hospitals, and so forth. I mean, we have to challenge what we're doing. And so I feel very comfortable now asking any leader any questions to help them see what they cannot see. So we struggle with leadership right now. I think it's at, a, at, a, at an all-time crisis point. It's it's interesting because, you know, Vladimir Zelensky has yes. taken the world by storm with his yes. leadership ability. Now, this is a guy who is the president of a relatively small country. They have a large landmass, but they're a relatively small country. This is a person who was, I mean, he does have a law degree, but he was an entertainer. He was a stand-up comic, and he had a comedy TV show. He was on the Dancing with the Stars equivalent of the Ukraine, and he played a layman who becomes president of the Ukraine in a comedy TV show, and then he yeah. ran for president. And it was like, oh, that's cute. Look, their president is a entertainer. Uh, not the first country to do that. We've done it now a couple of times. However, yes. the world crisis steps up, and this guy has proven that he is the definition of leadership in a world that's lacking leadership. Why, why in the world is this not more common? And why is the best leader currently being praised, you know, coming out of a, of a small country? He's very clear about his aim, the aim for all, not just, it's not about him. So he has something bigger that he sees, just like Dr. Deming. He was one person. He didn't have a, a he didn't have a company. He had one um, at the time secretary, Cecilia Killian. And um, but when you have the ability to think differently, uh, the creativity and the ability to communicate, and I wouldn't even say Dr. Deming was the greatest communicator or writer. You know, I mean, his books are not the easiest to read, but his message, you had to look through that. The same thing with Dr. Perry Gluckman, my other mentor, you have to look through sometimes the uh, complexity to get to the heart of the message and what they, what they are fighting for, what they want to educate is 
really so foundational. It is so foundational. It's like, let's live and learn and work and improve and innovate together. If we can do it together in this world, in our countries, in our industries, in our um, uh, businesses, and in our families, I think that's another place we really need to get a healthier foundations in place because when children are growing up, they, they have family and they have school. That's pretty much their lives. And, but if we have um, parents or teachers, coaches who are not able to guide them, who are not able to cope during challenging times like we've had in the past few years, the children will always struggle because they've never learned how to see things more strategically to understand what do we really want to achieve together. Well, and that's why I bring up President Zelensky, because I normally don't talk about things that are tied on the podcast because it's evergreen. Somebody might be listening to this in 2025. However, we're recording this in, in early March of, of 2022. And, you know, he is he has taken the world by storm with how he is, has stood up to the Russians and what he has done. But even going back before the invasion, when he first became president and reminded of what you said about the children and having the bigger picture, it was tradition in that country that whoever was the president, their picture hung in all government offices around the country. He told yes. all government offices not to hang his picture, but to yes. hang pictures of their own families so that they would be reminded every day of who they were making their decisions for. And I thought yeah. that is leadership. That is leadership. Absolutely. I so agree. So, Marsha, if somebody says, I got to know more about this, you know, th- this Martha, Marsha Dash Cow, how do they find you? So um, I have a website that's loaded with resources. That's m-go.com, but it's not so easy always to um, spell the last name. Go ahead, go go ahead and spell. It's it's, it's give your website in uh, uh, letter by letter because because you're tricking okay. us. You throw a Z in there. <laughs> yes. So it's the website is m-go.com. So it's m d a s. Z is in zebra, ko.com. But actually the easiest thing sometimes to do is to go to, to go to Amazon and look up the book because <laughs> if you can remember pivot, disrupt, transform, then you Boom. can, you'll find the right, the, you'll find the right yeah. spelling of the name. So that's yeah. pivot, spelling. disrupt, transform. And while you're at Amazon looking for how you spell her name, cause I didn't even know how to pronounce it. And I've known her for a while. Uh, make sure you buy the book while you're there on Amazon. So Marsha, thank you so much for being a guest here on making waves at sea level. Thank you so much, Tom. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. You know what? I say it every show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we even do this podcast? So please do me a favor. Tell all your friends because everybody tells me, oh, I love your show. And I say, how did you find my show? And they go, my mom, my coworker, my boss, somebody told them about it. Word of mouth is still the number one way to market anything in this world. And it's the only way people find out about this podcast. So go tell your friends. Come back because we're going to have another episode with somebody else who's shaking things up. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your business muscles, make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall because climbing your career ladder in the wrong place, that just sucks. And then finally, 
while you're out there doing all this, have some fun along the way. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.